0: You're listening to Allied Health Podcast, talking all things Allied Health with your hosts,
1: Danielle Whedon, physiotherapist, and Claire Jones, occupational therapist.
0: In this episode of Allied Health Podcast, Claire chats with Courtney Donaldson, an ESSA accredited exercise physiologist. Courtney graduated in early 2020, and not only did she take on the challenge of establishing her own EP business as a grad, she did so just as COVID took hold. Now working in her own business and as part of a team with a physiotherapy private practice, Courtney shares her insights and advice when it comes to starting a career in exercise physiology and highlights the positive impact she has on the lives of her clients as an EP. Hi, Courtney, and welcome to Allied Health Podcast. It's great to have you here.
1: Hi, thanks very much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Now, Courtney, you're an ESSA accredited exercise physiologist working in the disability sector. Can we start? by you telling us a little bit more about your um, journey as an EP so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: I suppose when I compare my journey with a lot of my peers or exercise physiologists that I know, my journey does look a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, But it's all very exciting to tell. So I graduated at the end of 2019, or I was class of April 2020 graduates, so... I got my accreditation at the start of 2020, which also was the start of COVID for Mm. all of us. Um, And I was, at the time, I was working as a personal trainer at a gym. So I'd been there for a couple of years, just working as a trainer while I was studying. And the manager of the gym actually said, you know what, Courtney, we know you've just graduated um, and we're looking for an EP. We'd love to have an EP at the gym Um, We have a really big Strength for Life program at the gym that I work at. So that sort of fitted really well, went hand in hand quite nicely. And he said, you know what, if you want the role, go for it. It's yours. We'd love to keep you, basically. Um, So, yeah, I suppose I'd never at that point in time even dreamed of starting my own business. And there I was as a new graduate um, and at the start of the COVID pandemic, starting my own business um, which was daunting and it all happened so quickly that I probably didn't even get much of a chance to sit down and think okay what am I actually doing here um, so that's where my exercise physiology journey really began, I suppose um, and it started slowly and then of course we got into the thick of the pandemic and we were all in well, South Australia was in a sort of semi-lockdown state where gyms were closed, but exercise physiologists were still essential. So luckily enough, um our gym being family owned, they were happy enough to give me the keys and say, "You know, use the space as you need to." So they were all doing personal training sessions outdoors, and I was lucky enough to stay in the gym and work with my clients in the gym, but it was a slow start, you know, um, building up my client base in the beginning. Um so it was stressful in a sense, but it was also kind of nice easing into it as well, um, despite the insecurity of it
0: all. I guess um typically when you start your own business, you 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 do generally start um slow, but um starting it at, at the beginning of a worldwide pandemic, um, I guess it's um really does um, give you the opportunity to take things slowly if you're looking for a positive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And slowly it was indeed, you know, um, I think the business side of things didn't really start picking up for me until the gym had reopened and we all sort of had a little bit more security with what was going on and I suppose what our future was going to look like as we were, you know, walking day by day head on into the pandemic so um it started to take off once things had started to open back up which was I don't even remember now it was probably springtime last year I would say sometime around you know, August September mm-hmm. I think we started to open up again and um yeah it was a weird time but um the business slowly started coming together and In September of 2020 as well, I actually secured um, part-time employment with a family-owned physiotherapy clinic. Mm -hmm. So I've been working there for the last year, um, just a day and a half a week. Um, But that's been really, really good, really fulfilling as well because I've had a team that's very supportive and I'm not just on my own 100% of the time, which can be
0: and still is um, stressful and you know scary yeah do you work with another um ep at the physiotherapy practice
1: yep so our practice has always had um at least one ep uh, or in the last few years has had at least one ep but their position hasn't been very stable so they've had a few come and go and at about the same time or a couple months before i started working there another ep started working there and we actually together um developed the exercise physiology component of the physiotherapy clinic so um that's been really exciting as well I've almost had two sort of businesses being started up um just one with a team of physios to to be supportive you know so we had lots of referrals coming from them um which was a lot easier than you know working for myself I had to go out and source my own clients and um that that process looked, I suppose, a little bit different. But um, my colleague and I, we've sort of developed our exercise physiology program, and we're just about to start looking for a new EP to join our team. Hopefully, fantastic. Yeah.
0: So, uh, working in the two roles, so um, working for your own business, move better exercise physiology, and working with the physiotherapy practice. What does um, what does a typical day look like in both roles what does it look like in um in your own business to start with
1: yeah I mean I suppose the services that are offered between my business and the physiotherapy clinic look pretty similar Um, my business is run out of a gym uh, over at my other role it's out of a physiotherapy clinic so there is a small gym space Um, over at move better I have Freedom to run around an entire gym, so I have a lot more equipment and um, you know machines and things to play with. Um, but as for my day to day, looks pretty well similar, I would say. Um, in that, I see on both ends a handful of NDIS clients, and I also have a little bit of the other stuff um, come through, like Medicare and DVA, and even some private paying patients coming through from time to time as well. So. Um, You know, it looks pretty well similar. Most days I'll have um, some kind of in-clinic or in-gym work where people come in and they see me. Um, And other times of the day I'll be heading out, doing home visits, visiting people in their home or in their retirement village or wherever it is that they're staying and doing exercise services at their house. So there's a bit of both of those going on. Um, on you know with both businesses so nice and busy
0: and in terms of running your own business what do you need to do outside of seeing your clients face to face What, what else is involved there is there is a lot
1: involved. And, you know, I almost feel like when I go to the physiotherapy clinic, it almost feels like a little bit of a holiday because I don't have all of that admin work and management work weighing over my head because there are administration teams and accounts teams and management that does those things that I have to do for myself when I'm working for Move Better. So, um, you know, of course, I have to take care of my own accounts and that's actually harder than what you would think, um, you know, especially when there's a third-party payer involved. Often, you know, invoices aren't paid on time and you're chasing up plan managers or, um, you know, case coordinators or whoever it is that's paying their clients' bills, to me, Um there's a lot of that involved so you know bookkeeping making sure you're always on top of having those things assigned to sessions or patients or um things like that you know sending out invoicing and even just the tax side of things yeah. is always doing you know my head and I have to make my own hex contributions and my own superannuation contributions and These are things that I didn't think about before I started my own business. So I am very lucky enough to have a very good tax accountant who is just all on top of that for me. And he keeps me in check. He's always chasing up the things that I need to provide. So the administration side of things is much heavier than what I thought it would be, but as long as I suppose you know you've got the initiative to go out and take the time to learn or take the time to uh, find the support like with my tax accountant, um, you know it that takes a load off um, by doing that rather than just, I suppose trying to take things as they come and finding I mean I'll say finding good systems to put in place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still not so good at that myself. You know, I still find myself going, oh, my God, I I, I bet there's a way more efficient way of doing this and I'm still doing it, you know, this very slow, um, tedious sort of way that could just be well and truly improved if I actually sat down and took the time to, I suppose, implement a
0: better system. I think um, running your own business can seem really easy and seamless. When you're looking at it from the outside and I think you've made some really really valid points there that it's very time consuming everything that happens um, in in terms of you know everything that's not face-to-face is time consuming it's time consuming getting those systems creating systems getting those systems in place and they're all things that you can't bill anyone for so they're all hours that you're really um, not being paid to do as such so financially, you really need to fact in, factor in um, the hours that you, that you need to set up and, can, and to continually run your business as well, don't you? And, yeah, absolutely. And I really like the point you make um, that you need to work out what you're not expert in and find an expert to do those things for you. You need a general no, understanding of things like accounting and tax but yeah. it's best to hand it over um again in those fees to your financials and hand it over to somebody who actually knows what they're doing
1: oh definitely I couldn't even tell you the amount of times that I've probably screwed something up and my poor tax accountant has had to come in and pick up all the pieces um and you know it's that time of year now so he's been chasing me up for all the little bits and pieces that I haven't sent him and um you know he's like Courtney I need you know xyz can you get them to me and I'm like oh I'm sorry Uh, you know I'll get them to you eventually um but pulling those pieces together to get them to him as well but
0: time even that's a lot of work isn't it
1: yeah yeah time consuming is definitely the right word because most often you know the tasks themselves aren't hard or you know, big, but they do take time, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and it's just, you know, other people have the admin team, like I said, who does that for them and that's why I didn't realise that, you know, having to do this all myself, um, you know, I would almost go as far to say that my business is 50% face-to-face with clients and 50% Mm -hmm. Mm behind-the-scenes administration, you know, Emails, phone calls, Mm. even outsourcing, you know, advertising. I don't even do that very well um, either. But, yeah, it's definitely, definitely time consuming. There's a lot of it. Mm. Uh, So if you're thinking about going to start your own business, be mindful of that. Probably look into that first because I didn't and I was hit by a train with
0: administration work. (laughs) (laughs) So given you've got experience, Starting your own business as a grad and working um, as an employed EP with a physio practice, what advice would you give graduates who might be contemplating going down either pathway or maybe even down both as you have done? Yeah. Um, Key pieces of information there, key pieces of advice,
1: sorry. uh, Yeah, look, there's probably a few that pop to mind immediately. I mean, like I said before, if you're thinking about going out and starting your own business, do your homework first <laughs> um because I think you know like I mentioned previously, it is scary and it is daunting, and you know more often than not, you're probably just gonna be doing it yourself um so doing your homework, making sure that you know what is involved before taking that big leap. If I could do my time over, I would have looked, you know, looked far more into it before stepping right on in because I did step right on in and I thought, yeah, what a great idea. And, you know, I set up my ABN and I made a business name and um, and then I went, oh my goodness, you know, I've got all of this work to do now. And even still to this day, you know, it's sort of approaching that two-year mark of having my business. Still to this day, I'm faced with things where I'm like, I had to do that. Like I didn't realise that or, you know, it's something that I hadn't been doing and it's just gone, you know, all this time now without having done it and now I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, So, yeah, that's probably the number one in that sense. And, again, having some kind of support around you or people you can ask questions to, like, you know, definitely a good tax accountant is you know probably number 1 because yeah i'm an exercise physiologist i don't know how to pay my tax i don't i don't know how to do my bass you know mm. <laughs> um that's super important but in terms of exercise physiology as a job in general um finding i suppose a team that you can work in and you can work well with um because it can be very hard on your own. Um, so if you find a, you know, a workplace or a team that you seem to gel really well with and you're all on the same page in terms of philosophies and ideologies and things like that, I think that's very important. And that's, I'm very lucky to have that over at the physiotherapy clinic. You know, we all have very similar philosophies and um I suppose, you know, and we're all very passionate about what we do, which makes our job that much easier to do
0: because you know if you like what you do you don't work a day in your life. So, <laughs> so true. And so working at the physio practice once you I know that you, you started in that role what about six months after starting your own business? What did it feel like then to have that 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 clinical support and um, exposure to experience and professional development? How did yeah, it feel I as think- opposed to working working on your own?
1: I think my um, skills as an exercise physiologist have definitely improved, you know, double, triple what they did in that first six months um, because I have had people to ask questions to. I have had a team to bounce off. um, I have had access to far more professional development opportunities than I had on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think my skills and my knowledge is, you know, a huge improvement Mm, from mm. just joining a team Um, and my confidence as well. My confidence on my own, you know, I suppose you could say that I was confident because I was confident enough to go out and start my own business. But, you know, in the beginning I still thought, you know, I don't even, I don't know what an exercise physiologist does. I'd sit in an initial assessment and go, oh, my God, I don't I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, and you, it feels like you practice that so much at uni and then you step out and suddenly you're doing it on your own and it's all out the window and you're just like, this is nothing like uni. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. And I still feel like that, you know, a lot of the time now, but less so, less so. I have the confidence that, you know, if I don't cover everything in that initial assessment, because I'm unsure, I can then go regroup with my team, ask some questions, get some feedback. And then in the next session with that person, I can go over what I've missed. Yeah, the
0: really, really typical feelings for so many grads. I know when I was a grad OT, I felt exactly the same way and it's like a penny drops when you you do think well I'm I I can't know it all I'm 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 only a graduate and that's all you need to do is stop and go and seek the information that you you know do as much as you can go and get the information that you need and then come back to it
1: yeah absolutely and I feel like you come out of uni and everything um has sort of been programmed Mm -hmm. almost like we're robots but you know then you step out into your first initial consultation or um, you know your first real exercise physiology session, and it's it's absolutely not the same. You know um, these are no longer just made up case studies yeah. in the classroom, and they're suddenly they're a real person, and they have real things going on at home, and they've got you know real psychological challenges and things like that. And you know sometimes an initial assessment, most times an initial assessment doesn't go. The way you'd hope it would go or it doesn't go the way you'd want it to go, um it just goes how it needs to go
0: on that day for that person, and that's fine, yeah, I think as a grad, I often had these expectations around what how it should run and how it should be and what it should look like. Um, and I quickly learned that every every assessment, every intervention is completely different, and you really need to except the fact that they are all different and, it's, and you can't pigeonhole, can't pigeonhole things. I think the other point too is when you step out as, as a graduate, all of a sudden your you know, clinical placement supervisor is no longer standing beside you and your, um, your thoughts go from, you know, at uni it was everything that you did know to all of a sudden you think about everything that you don't know. Um, and that's when you can get really overwhelmed. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> So Courtney, um, you've had a really interesting experience considering you've been an EP now for 18 months and you've had your own private practice and you've also worked in another private practice. What have What have been some of your most memorable moments so far?
1: Oh, there are just, there are too many memorable moments to count and, you know, there are memorable moments most days, I think, especially working um you know, with NDIS participants, that is often super duper rewarding. And, um, you know, I'm always celebrating the wins. But um, one of my most memorable moments is, and this client was actually someone who was handed over to me when I was a personal trainer, and he's um, still working with me to this day. Um, And I've had permission from him to share a little bit about his story. So He, like I said, started working with me when I was a personal trainer. Um, He actually has a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. So he mobilizes full time in a wheelchair. Um, He sometimes uses a walking frame to get around his house. But for the most part, he is just in his wheelchair. Um, And he was going to the gym and working with a personal trainer before he started working with me. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of things that probably i suppose aren't thought about on a personal training perspective as what there are on an exercise physiology perspective so i mean i guess one day you know there was treadmill walking in this program and i sort of said one day well why don't you walk holding on to holding on to me you know um because when he walked on the treadmill he was really leaning onto handles of the treadmill and he was really relying on that treadmill to be there and it just looked super uncomfortable for him. I didn't really like it personally. So I said, you know, why don't we go for a walk? Why don't you just hold my arm and we'll walk? And he did and, you know, it surprised him. It surprised me and it worked and that was the first time he'd actually properly walked in, you know, so many years, Um, he sort of walked without his frame by scaling across the wall when it was you know really necessary and that's usually when somewhere is unaccessible like a bathroom out in public or something like that but I suppose that's not really considered actually walking going for a walk so you know why don't you just hold on to my arm and off we went and we walked around the gym and we Gradually started adding obstacles, and then we were going upstairs into the second ground floor of the gym and we were walking around upstairs. And you know, now he can walk comfortably everywhere as long as he's got someone to hold on to. So he feels now that he can access public spaces a lot more comfortably because he's been able to build up this confidence and this mobility with his walking. So that's you know, been something that's just been so fantastic for me to be a part of, Um you know, and it's not a huge, I suppose, physical improvement or physical win, but it's psychological and yeah. he's got that confidence now and he's got that feeling of he can do it mm. and he, you know, doesn't have to, you know, I suppose... Consider where he's going or what he's doing so much because he knows that he, if need be, will be able to get up and have a little bit of a walk, as long as someone's there to give him a little bit of a hand. So
0: that's been really nice to see, and it, it must have had such a positive impact on his um, functional ability in in terms of just accessing, you know, his his you know space around his house and accessing outdoors. It must be a great feeling to be off a treadmill and um, actually, you know, while he's assisted, you know. Yeah, like
1: putting that. it into practice. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, and, you know, he thanks me every day for the help that I've given him and, you know, I, I always tell him, you're the one who puts in the hard yards and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just here, you know, making these things accessible for you or you know, helping you to develop the confidence to be able to do them yourself. You know, he puts in the hard work. He lifts the heavy weights, and you know, I am just
0: there. Yeah. You know. And have you, in terms of, um, in terms of working within the NDIS scheme and working with this um, gentleman in particular, have you have you often treating practitioners are in a position where they can advocate for? And more services? Have you, have you had any, any involvement in, in, in that capacity with yeah, this particular I'm, client or other clients?
1: Yeah, I knew pretty well nothing about the NDIS when I started working. Um, you know, Another thing you had to get your head around? Yeah, absolutely. The extent of my knowledge was they paid the bills and that was about it. Um, and he, when I started working with him, he actually was paying out of his pocket for personal training services. And I started working with him and I sort of said, no, what are you doing? Like, why are you paying for this? The NDIS should be paying for it because, you know, you're eligible Mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. Um, And he was like, oh, you know, they give me my wheelchair every five years and that's the only thing that they've ever paid for. Um, And, yeah, he was one of those people that sort of got lost I suppose, in the cracks. He's um, he's 28 now and he, I think, was with Disability SA before the NDIS was brought into effect. And so he automatically got put onto the NDIS, but he never had the education around, you know, what services he was able to claim through the NDIS. So that's when I sort of decided to take the time to do a bit of learning about what the NDIS is and what, you know, services people can claim through the NDIS. And, you know, that's when we started to um, really hone in on his NDIS plan and start to gather, you know, the funds in the budgets that he needs basically. So there are so many things that he needed that he was never getting and still mm-hmm. doesn't get. Um, so it's an ongoing battle, unfortunately, Um, But we are getting there. You know, he's no longer paying for these services out of his own pocket. He's able to, um, you know, use his money for the things that he wants, um, you know, and he's able to save money now. He never had savings before because he was paying for, you know, physical therapy of sorts because that's what helped him, you know, mentally and physically um and that was his entire disability pension pretty well gone once he'd paid for all of that so yeah I sort of stepped into a little mini advocating role for him in a sense um and it's been a journey and you know I think I'm so much better off for it now because I'm able to provide other people advice that I wasn't once able to provide and um and I think I'm even able to you know, provide better recommendations in my progress reports at the end of someone's plan now than I was ever able to before because I just have so much of a better understanding of what the NDIS is looking for and um, I suppose all those little, you know, nooks and crannies of the NDIS that you're never sort of really aware of until you start digging down those rabbit holes and yeah, yeah. finding that information. Yeah.
0: And it's one of those things that's... Um, often underestimated um, when you're working to any scheme, but particularly NDIS, is um, that you can play a huge role in advocating for um, for your clients and your participants um, to really improve, you know, the quality of services that they're receiving and um, ultimately having a really positive impact on their quality of life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, while it is a battle at the moment, it is very stressful for him because he's constantly worrying about you know, we don't have enough money and what are we gonna do and things like that. But I've got to keep reminding him that you know, you never had these services before. Like this yeah. is this is a win so far. You know, we will keep working at it, yeah, but we're already 10 steps ahead of what we were, you know, when we started working together. So um, you know, a huge, huge difference for him. And he hasn't actually had modifications done to his house since he was eight years old so he's still using Mm. rails fitted for an eight-year-old and Mm. you know trying to get his wheelchair through and narrow narrow doorways and Mm. um, you know so there there's some things that we're trying to work on at the moment making his home his own home more accessible Um, so I would imagine a lot's changed
0: yeah I would imagine a lot's changed for him since he was eight I'm sure his yeah. the wheelchair size alone has increased Absolutely. significantly. I hope it yes. has. Anyway, yeah. well, thanks so much for joining me today, Courtney. It's been so interesting to hear your your journey so far, in particular because you have gone down that um, that you know private practice stream and gone into another practice. Um, and I'm sure that for all the you know student um, EPs and early career EPs out there um, who've been listening Um, the advice and information that you've shared has been really really valuable so thank you.
1: Yeah thanks very much for having me you know I do like to help people and that's why I I work the job that I work so I hope that some things I've shared today are able to help some of those new grads or some students that are still trying to decide what it is they want to do when they finish uni Um, you know that'd be great if I can help
0: Some more people. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks, Courtney.
1: No worries. Thanks, Claire. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Allied Health Podcast. In the show's notes, you'll find links to our free recruitment resources, job opportunities and healthcare marketplace insights. To listen to new episodes, please subscribe via Apple, Google or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give it a five-star rating and review and be sure to tell your therapy colleagues and friends to tune in.